Our speaker of the hour is Logan Cates. Logan preaches for the Durant Church of Christ in Durant, Oklahoma. And um, I have, I was asking him a little earlier if he uh, remembered when we met. We met sometime in the year 2000. I don't remember exactly what time of the year, but he had just become the director of the Bible chair at Eastern Oklahoma College. Is it just college or it's just college, isn't it? EOC. And um, uh, I had just become the pulpit preacher at the congregation in Hugo, Oklahoma, which supports that work and had since its inception. I don't remember how long that thing's been, that Bible chair has been in existence, but uh, uh, I met Logan and um, interestingly enough, as we got to know each other over the years and I knew a little bit about his family, uh, I realized that when I was a student here at Bear Valley, his great-grandfather sat right behind where the students sat, uh, typically in the auditorium here, and uh, I just really loved and appreciated Brother Jack Carter Sr. You remember some of the, some of the folks that were around here back then? I really appreciated getting to know him, and, and I have very much appreciated getting to know Logan, and we've crossed paths a number of times over those intervening years, and uh, does a great work in Durant. He's here with his family, and uh, I would invite you to give your attention to him as he breaks forth the bread of life to us. Logan, come preach the word. Well, you must love God's house if you're here right after the serve, right after lunch. <laughs> I'm very thankful to see everybody here today, and we're glad that you're here. And we're, I'm thankful to, to be in this place, but I want to start off by saying this. I love thy kingdom, Lord. Remember that song? The house of thine abode, the church, our blessed Redeemer saved, with his own precious blood. You can be turning to Psalm 48 is where we're going to be for the next little bit. Um, the first time I saw Jerusalem, and maybe you, you've seen it too, I remember walking up to it and everybody said at that point, your eyes are going to do what, what, what they normally do. They're just going to well up with tears because of your passion for, for God's word. And when you see that place or when you see Galilee... It's just going to make your emotions just flow, and it did. I'll never forget it. And I'll tell you a little secret that's kind of funny. My wife and I secretly paid somebody in the, at night to go out and take us on the Sea of Galilee to catch a Peter fish. And we did, and that's possible. Don't ask anybody if you can do that, but we, we did it. But we enjoyed our trip there. And on the next slide, there's a short... Uh, video, if you could transfer the next slide. This is us walking down the pathway. We're about to see the Garden of Gethsemane, and you can see Jerusalem there in front of you, the Kidron Valley, and something hits you as you start to walk towards the city. You start to remember, wait a second, this is what I've been studying about for 40 years. This is what I've been reading. This is the where Jesus was dragged, this is where he taught, this is where he was crucified. And so what I had heard, thank you, Donnie, what I had heard had turned into what I could see, which is what is in the text. 
What I was hearing for so many years is now what I can see. And what does that say about heaven one day? That we're going to see Jesus as he is. And what we've heard for so long to now celebrate, this is where we are. This is holy ground as you sing that song. Or ancient words, ever true. Changing me and changing you. And, and you walk across these valleys and these mountains and you get to see this. And it's really something. If you haven't had a chance to go, there's opportunities with Denny or several other people. I challenge you to do that. This is where it all happened, way back to David. And as awesome as that it was, I want to make this clear, brothers and sisters. I do not put my faith in stones or rocks or walls. My faith is in Jesus Christ. And I remember the stones were cast down. I remember the stones cried out. I remember in Revelation chapter 21, it talked about the Lord. There was no temple. The Lord was the temple. The Lord God Almighty. And I remember Paul saying, no man can lay a foundation other than what? What's already been laid. What truly made the house of God strong, if I can get to the next one here. There we go. Was God's presence was there. He was dwelling with his people. Jerusalem uh, is the personification of God's people and how he dwells among his own today. God's goal for mankind has always been for us to worship him. For us to come to before his presence, just as the songs that we've been singing. A writer once said this, the church of Christ is the most precious thing in the whole world. And I agree with that. But you and I get to come before the very presence of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The effectiveness of that blood, we can come into his presence and before him. So I ask you this question. Do you love the church? I, I want us to think on that just for a minute. And the topic for today is love for God's house. But do you love the bride of Christ? Do you love the church? I, I've loved the church for years. And uh, Donnie was just talking about some history there. But it's because Christ gave himself up for the church. He purchased the church with his blood. And what does that mean to you? You know, I have five children. Four of the five are with me today. And we have, I have a child that's the oldest is 23 and the youngest is two. You might think I'm crazy. But I'm going to tell you in just a second. A few years ago, the hospital called us and said, Logan, do you know of anybody that would take this little girl? The parents just walked out of the hospital. Do you know of anybody that will? And so I got off the phone and talked to my wife, called him back, and it's just a few minutes. We had to name her before we saw her. And they're bringing this little infant, this two-day-old infant, down our road. And the attorney, he turns the, the little car seat around and the emotions just flood. And now we're meeting the little girl 
that we had named. A few days later, the gavel comes down and it's permanent. You ask someone else who's adopted a child, can you love that child even though you might not be blood kin? Can you love that child to such a degree you'll bring it into your home, do whatever you can to help to raise that child. And I want to ask you today, the people that are sitting next to you that might not be your blood kin, can you love them the same way as they are blood kin? Are we not the family of God? Are we not the house of God? We talk about brothers and sisters all the time, but I'm wondering if we really understand the power behind that. Blood through Jesus Christ. We're blood kin. Brothers and sisters, we're the family of God, 1, Peter, or 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. We're to love one another deeply from the heart, as Peter said. And the more that you love, like we're supposed to love, the more we will practice the church discipline, as the brother just talked about before lunch. Because church discipline is one of the most loving things that a congregation or an eldership can do the more we will uh, reconcile with our brother in Matthew chapter 5 before we come before God. Do you love the church? God didn't want us to be coming just to see a location. He allowed us to be the church. And Psalm 48 is a 14-verse song about the city of God. And we have other psalms about that as well. You see 76 in that chapter about it. You see chapter 84. You see chapter 87. You see chapter 122. All of these are so many about the celebration of the house of God. The psalm has been somewhat disputed about through the years. People ask, is it a psalm where they uh, were uh, uh, sang in a procession as they came towards the city? It's possible. Was it a song that they sang in the temple? I believe it was. You read through this, this is a celebratory, excitement, joyful song. I was kind of going through this and I think, man, we need to put some music to this and sing this song. Was it written for eschological end times? Yes, in the sense of here is, we're looking for a house not made with hands one day, eternal in the heavens. Are we not? Was it written maybe there's a, a parts of it are about the siege of Jerusalem in, in 706 B.C. or 701 B.C.? Not totally sure, but maybe so. But I know this, brothers and sisters, it has with it a typological overtone for us today as you read this psalm. We learn about the writers of this psalm, the, uh, the sons of Korah, the descendants of Korah, that go all the way back to Numbers 16. These were the descendants in this family, were the ones who provided service and love for the temple, provided the temple singers. They were the ones that were... <laughs> The f- providers of the furniture, they were the, the garters of the door. They, we could go on and on, and their dad or their father or their descendant down the line, Korah from Numbers chapter 16, remember he led the rebellion against God. And I, I look at this, and I remember that rebellion back in Numbers 16 where 
God even tells Moses and Aaron, hey, stay away from that, that group. Remember that? Stay away from them. The, the, the earth is going to swallow him up. And it did. Jonah wasn't the only one that got swallowed. But here's the descendants. And who better to write a psalm about love for God's house than these individuals who truly loved the presence of God. We're talking about the same presence of God that Moses had to cover his face from in Exodus 34. And how do you put into words, this is where God is. This is where his dwelling place is. You know, Psalm, in Psalm 24, David said, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord, who shall stand in his holy place, only those that have clean hands and a pure heart. I also remember Psalm 26, 8, David said these words, O Lord, I love your habitation, the habitation of your house. I've stood in some pretty phenomenal places in my life. You have as well. You've traveled a lot probably. Let me just take a break for a minute and tell you something. This place is a pretty phenomenal place to me. It's already been suggested, already been said. My grandfather taught here years ago. Um, he preached in Castle Rock not many miles away. He preached there for years. Uh, my mother and father met not far from here in Littleton, okay? And my mom's dad was the preacher and my dad's dad was the elder. I'll have to tell you all that story sometime. But I have, my mother sang in SYD. I have family all over this city in that sense, and one's right here today with us. And I'm getting to, to see more family as I'm here. But you know what? We don't come to celebrate this wood or, or this building, do we? Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And we restrain ourselves from being attracted to pews and preachers because of our love for Jesus Christ and his church. The verse 1 does not say great is the city. It says great is the Lord. Look at verse 1 with me. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. There we go. Okay. God is always to be praised, number one. Not second, not third. And if you drag a net through the passages, as like Stafford North used to talk about, you drag a net through the passage, you see verse 1, you see verse 9, and you see verse 14 all coming, interlocking together. God will establish her forever, and look, God will guide us until death at the end. God is at the first, and God is at the last. And how much is God mentioned throughout this whole chapter? You know, I like hearing about certain authors. I like hearing about C.S. Lewis. I like hearing my favorite preachers. But I want to know what Elohim wants from me. I want to learn what Elohim wants for the church. I want to know, not only we see in this text... What Elohim wants, and we see Elohim in, verse, or in chapter 42 through 83, not only what Elohim wants, but look at the text. Look at what is his. 
Look at what is his. The city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, the joy of all the earth. It's his city. It's his mountain. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of all the earth. Whose church is it? Is it his church? Matthew 16, 18. Has he proven himself absolutely? How high, how elevated is this mountain? I look at Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 2. And it shall come about in the last days, or in the latter days, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established at the highest of mountains. And then the writer says, the joy of all the earth. Is that truly what she is? Those of us that have been raised in the church, maybe, if you look at it that way, or can you imagine what a drag life would be without the church? Can you imagine what it would be like? And we try to tell people, you don't understand. And here, I, I can't even describe to you how much I love the church. You don't know, understand. We tell people what you are missing out on. I remember Psalm 122 where it says, I was glad. Remember that? Let us go to the house of the Lord. I was glad when they told me that. Our feet are standing, he says, within your gates. But I also remember in Psalm, or in Ecclesiastes 5, guard your steps as you enter into the house. If people don't see God's house as beautiful in elevation, holy, his holy mountain, the joy of all the earth, having gratitude for our deliverance, then they will barely be present in attendance. Sometimes we, we know people where it's the slightest variation in their schedule and the church is out. I love the church. I, 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 don't, I don't know, you're probably the same way. We don't get up on Sunday and decide, is this the day we attend or not? If we are physically able to be there, I want to be there. It's beautiful in elevation. This hill of Zion was known to all nations. But look at verse 1 and 2. Can we not understand that elevated as Christ's church is, made up of his people, you are his children, right? It's, you are the temple of God, 1 Peter 2, 5, being built up. This is where we come before the presence of God. We worship him in spirit and in truth. You are the light of the world, a city on a hill. You are the temple of God. You are God's own possession, as Peter said. You are precious. And I, that's what makes me love his church. That's what makes me want to honor him first and foremost. And maybe today we might say that's what makes shepherds stand and lead instead of fall to apathy. You know, sometimes we hear members say these words, we, well, sister so-and-so hasn't been there in, oh, a few months or so, and we're, I don't know, you think we ought to go see, I don't know, you think it would do any good? For the love of God in his church, in Christ and his church, somebody go out and knock on the sister's door and help bring her back into the fold. Sometimes we become so apathetic about things and 
loving, this is loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's not, we don't look at this text and say, well, security is in a building. No, security is in God. But notice also in this text, they're crescendoing. I, I, I love, and with music we see crescendos, but here is a, a crescendoing from local to city to worldwide. And city to mountain elevated to the joy of all the earth. Is that how we view his church? Is that the church that you have in view? Um, you know, Donnie mentioned my grandfather. He was, my great-grandfather was converted from Episcopalian. And it's my understanding, he, he, he was a drinker and he was, and the neighbor comes over and talks to him and changed his life completely. And then his three boys preached the gospel. And then the family goes on from there. And now there's probably more than 60 individuals in our family. Several of them are preachers in the Lord's church, all because of one man who's thought to knock on somebody's door and tell him about Jesus. And now we're looking at a family. I don't, think, I don't know if I would have been here or not. If one man hadn't knocked on his door and converted the neighbor and brought him to Jesus Christ, and God gives the increase, is she really the joy of all the earth? We sang about, in this psalm, Mount Zion in the far north. The highest place on the north, that's what you see as you come in. And also Morgan Stern was talking about how this could be the pagans. Their high north was over here. And no, you notice the comparison here. No, not your high north. His high north, where the presence of God is. This was where God revealed his presence among the people. And how many times has God made himself known to you? It says in the text, he's made himself known as the stronghold. Has God made himself known to you? You know, I remember in Romans chapter 1 and verse 19, he made himself known. He, but what was known to God, you know, what, what has been known about God was plain to them, but they had no excuse, did they? They're singing about what God has done for the city of God. He's the stronghold of the oppressed in Psalm 9 and verse 9. He is uh, on his throne forever. I, I, I go back and I read Psalm 18, and I see there is, who is a rock beside our God? There's nobody else. Who is a rock beside him? But sometimes in the church, we become too concerned about us. I don't know about you, have you struggled with the whole, are we going to put announcements at the beginning or the end? This is, it's like every, uh, I hear this about every two or maybe two to four years, right? We should change it up and put them at the end. You know what I see in this text? It's time for someone to stand up on Sunday morning and announce God, the first thing that we're there. We're going to announce, great is the Lord. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, welcome this morning. We're here to praise God because what he has done for us. In the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, now let's all sing together and praise his name. But sometimes I think, well, have we missed this announcement about us? But listen, if we miss the announcement about him, 
We've missed it all. We have to think about what God's presence brought to them. His presence brought them peace, protection, sovereignty, and as this verse explodes into the next part here, for behold, kings assembled. They came on together, and as soon as they saw it, look at here, God protects and preserves and defends his people. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you take refuge in the Lord? I remember the, the, the passage in 2 Timothy 4.16 where Paul said at that point, I, at my first defense, how many people came to his side, right? No one. All who deserted me, but who was it that stood there by him? But the Lord stood with us. Here in Psalm 48, this band of wicked kings, probably the Assyrians, came to attack Jerusalem. And when they came and they saw it, and they, and they, they looked at Jerusalem and they were terrified and they ran. You see another crescendo in this text. Look at this. Kings observed. They came on together. They were astounded, they were in panic, they fled, and then the pain. Why did they flee? They fled because Elohim was there. When you have God's presence, you keep it about him. And the kings, the wicked band of kings of this earth that are going to come against the church, we might call them savage wolves, right? Dressed in sheep's clothing. If we are united in Christ as the body, if the shepherds are united, the kings are not in such a hurry to go in and, and tear the church apart. One of the reasons we preach and teach unity from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, by the way, we see Christ in every verse in 1 through 10. For the sake of Jesus Christ, let there be no divisions among you. One of the reasons we preach that is because, brothers and sisters, that's happening all across the world. Division is occurring over and over and over. And I don't know about you, but I've noticed that when an eldership is unified, it seems that they're a little more hesitant to go and attack and bring in all the things that they want to bring in from man that's not of God. I've directed church camp for several years, and one of the things that we like to do with the kids, we bring them all into the mess hall, and secretly I've taken one of them out and hid them and so we're all in the mess hall, and I say, okay, who's missing? So you see all these hundred and something kids that are looking for, I don't know, I can't think of who's missing. And then we bring them on Sunday morning, let's do the same thing. Who's missing, brothers and sisters? Do we love the church, love God's house enough to go and find out who's missing and help them come back and teach them and encourage them? But the kings observed here, whoever they were, were a picture of seeing something so powerful to be defeated. 
seven years ago, I moved to Durant. And one of the first questions I had in Durant, Oklahoma, why is there another congregation just a couple of miles away? I don't know anything about them. And so we got some more information. And it wasn't long, and about maybe three years or so, and the elders started meeting with their elders. Three elders meeting with three elders. Boy, we all started praying. And then it wasn't long and they planned to worship together on a Sunday night. There wasn't any room on any church pew anywhere. And then it wasn't long and the elders kept meeting. And then when we merged together in that first Sunday morning service, there was over 500 people there. And I was watching as people were walking in the doors and I was thinking to myself, those are my brothers and sisters in the same town, and I don't even know them. And now I'm under three elders that, I, that were from the other congregation, and I love them dearly. And I think to myself, I would have never even known these people because of the bitterness that we sometimes hold in our hearts. But after 55 years, the Durant Church of Christ is now one congregation. And it goes on from there. We, we sold seven properties during COVID and were able to build a new building right on the four-lane highway. And the reason I tell you this is because we look at this text and somebody say, well, which preacher do we attribute some of this to? Or which man, who was the one that did a great job? Is that what you find in verse one? Who is to be praised? God is. So put on the whole armor of God that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. I look at the ships of Tarshish here and I studied this and I, I don't know, I, I love this study. Maybe it's the destruction of the fleet of Xerxes ships, I don't know, in 480 BC. Maybe it was 2 Chronicles 9, uh, but it's mentioned several times in scripture. Ezekiel chapter 27, uh, it's mentioned in Isaiah chapter 60, it's mentioned in Isaiah chapter 2. What do we pull from this with the ships of Tarshish? Man's pagan, commercial, technological strengths will always fail against God. You better watch out for God's east wind. Sometimes we think that we've got it all figured out and we need to go back to verse one. You don't mess with God. And I, I, you know, Isaiah said the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. In verse nine, we, we see Moving forward, imagine this prayer. Lord, we have thought on your steadfast love in the midst of your temple. We sing the song, the steadfast love of the Lord never, what? Lamentations. Never, never ceases. And no wonder they sang, and I think of, I think of Exodus 15 where they... They, they sang, after they walked out of the water, they sang, they said, uh, I will sing to the Lord. He is highly exalted. Pharaoh's horses and chariots, he's hurled into the sea. What do you sing? I catch myself 
singing all the time, I love you, Lord. Do you know that song? I love you, Lord. In verse 12, I love this verse. He says, go see for yourself. Go see for yourself. Walk around her. You can walk around her. Go see for yourself. You can walk around today if you've been to Jerusalem. You can walk over and see the layers of stone when they were torn down, when they were rebuilt. And here's Herod's stone, and here's what his stones look like. And you can see all the layers of those stones. But you can also walk around today and just be in awe of the church today and what God has done. I read this chapter over and over, and one of the first things that came to me was I was, my knees started to bend in thinking about all that God has done and praising him and celebrating him. I remember one time I sat with Grandfather Donnie, I sat with Grandpa, and I was probably about 18 years old, and he said, Logan, what are you studying right now in your Bible? Boy, that'll open your eyes. Ask somebody that question. And it was from that moment on, I never forgot his question to me. And we ought to be able to tell people, this is what I'm studying right now. It's humbling, isn't it, when I read this chapter? Which brings me to the end here, as we come to a close, that you may tell it to the next generation. I want to read before I get there. I want to, oops, that's okay, just leave it there. I want to get to Psalm 78 for a minute. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 78. As I'm turning to there, I remember he says here, we have heard these things from our fathers. Listen to that. The reason we know them is because they passed them along to us. We will not hide them from our children. Is there an importance today in telling the next generation about God? We must connect this, brothers, to engage and to empower and employ the next generation, telling them over and over. I was talking to a man not long ago, and he was talking about how he went forward, and he was praying for his son who was lost, and he contacted his son, and he said, son, he's an adult, and he said, I've been praying so much, and I want you to know I am in tears every night because of your soul. How are you with the next generation right now? Maybe as grandparents. How are we at connecting and bringing that legacy or that torch of truth onto them? And you notice this text is not just about exalting God, it's about telling the next generation about God. So I wanna direct a few statements to maybe our mothers and fathers there. What you are doing at home, please do not give up. If you are teaching the Bible at home, please do not quit. And I remember as a kid rolling my eyes when I was 13, and my mother would get up in the morning, and she would say, Logan, all scriptures inspired by God and is profitable for teaching. And I remember rolling my eyes, oh, mom. And now I look back and I say, thank you, mom. Mothers and fathers do not give up and grandparents teaching God's word. And I was reading a book and this is just a quote that I had found and we're gonna 
close. If I can get this to work. There we go. One writer said, did we even realize that every Monday, Thursday, every ordinary day, that we are standing on holy ground, building a cathedral far more glorious than we could ever dream up of our own? And she said, consider a garden, a raised bed outside your kitchen window, perhaps. The master gardener has charged you to plant it with seeds, to cultivate the soil, and to tend the plants and help them flourish. He did not throw some seeds at you and say you're responsible for turning them into ripe, plump vegetables. He placed the seeds in your palm, patted your fist lovingly, and asked you to tend them well, to steward them, to help them grow. We hold the blessed responsibility today of being seed planters. We must help people walk around the places, the palaces, the presence of God, the bride of Christ to see the leadership and the holiness that is required here to keep what God has elevated. So I will sing, last, last slide, I will sing of his greatness, sing of his presence. I will sing of his intentions that he wants for my life. I will sing of his power against kings of this earth. I will sing of his steadfast love and I will sing of his praise to the next generation. As it is, they desire a better country, right? A heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Why? Because he has prepared for us a city. Thank you for your time.